This podcast is a part of Dear Asian Youth, a youth-led magazine aimed towards Asian activism for Asian youth by Asian youth. Follow us on all platforms, Instagram, Twitter, and more at Dear Asian Youth to get all the updates on the latest articles, poetry, prose, podcasts, campaigns, and more. Dear Asian Girl, a podcast dedicated to uplift and share Asian girl stories everywhere. Today, our co-host, Jen, will be talking about food appropriation with our special guest, Olivia Stark. Hello, everyone. We hope you are doing well and that you enjoyed our last episode. Um, my name is Alina, and I'm here with Jen. We are your host for Dear Asian Girl. Um, and today, we are going to be talking about food appropriation um, regarding the Asian cuisine, and we cannot wait to get started. There's so many topics and everything we need to talk about but one thing that we definitely want to start focusing on is our personal experiences so that we can relate to our viewers out there or our audience that are listening or watching like on the video that we have now which is really cool actually I like that idea um so yeah. do you have like your personal experiences in school or outside of school in which you've ever been like ashamed of the food that you ate outside or like felt like you saw something that was like culturally appropriated in your area. Mm-hmm. Yep. So for me, I know like I've so I went started going to an online school in seventh grade, but my experiences prior to that of like the lunch table was not very fun. Um, and I'm sure like anyone who's been to a public school, middle school, high school, you know the lunch tables like you're chill fun enjoy enjoying time yep. you know right like <laughs> so yeah i'm setting i'm setting the scene for all the people listening you're like you're like uh in the 2010s right you're like excited for lunch like let's let's get to eden right you're not gonna in the peanut free alley <laughs> <laughs> you're gonna go to the microwave the white person next to you warming up their pizza you know how you it had is. a microwave okay. <laughs> yeah yeah our middle school had a microwave we didn't have is that not normal? No. I literally had what? cold Filipino food. <laughs> That's so horrible. Okay. And yeah. I thought, like, wow. And I thought Idaho's school system was, like, not up to par. Mm-hmm. I guess we had microwaves, which is No, great. the thing is, I would have to persuade my teachers in order for me to, like, get food in the microwave. Because it was in the teacher's lounge. And oh, I would just, I like, see. buddy up to them. I'd be like, hey, I can do, like, an extra assignment if you just, like, put the food in my microwave. <laughs> I like how that's like wow just fun middle school experiences um yeah yeah, so I guess scraps the microwave you're just getting ready for lunch right um and you pull out and I this is this is my experience I pull out this like wonderful South Asian dish that my mom made like my favorite is biryani and that's like a rice dish with like chicken and like spices it's very good it's the only thing that like it's the one thing that's like a comfort food for me yeah if that makes sense for but sure i'm pretty whitewashed myself but that's like the most, <laughs> my most favorite thing about south asian culture is the biryani anyway i pull it out right and the, obviously we get that classic reaction of the girl next to you like her name's probably like emily or something no offense <laughs> to all the emily's out there and she's like ew what is that you know what i mean like she's like oh gross like why does it smell like that? you know so, yeah it's that's just my classic experience and it's kind of frustrating to think of like that happening and fast forward like a couple years later and now it's like trendy to like 
Indian food or Pakistani food, and I'm just like, okay, whatever. But anyway. For sure. So like, y'all were complaining about the smell, but then loving it the next day. <laughs> yeah, like, girls. Any, any that happened yeah. to me a few times. Not, um, that happened to me in the lunchroom where I had kare kare, and it's one of my favorite Filipino dishes of all time, but it smells. I'm going to say that out loud. It smells, but it's so good. And I'm sitting down, like, maybe with, like, a few of my friends and stuff, and then I open it, and the one girl from, like, the other side of the table, not even, like, on my side, she's like, what is that? Why is it, like, brown? And why is there so many vegetables on there? I'm like, you literally have a sandwich with peanut butter and jelly. Calm down. Calm down. (laughs) And then there was another thing. You know Starbucks has the new matcha drink and all that stuff? Uh Oh, oh my goodness. Literally maybe three years ago, I bought one myself. And then this one girl, she literally said... Um, why does that look like, um, something Shrek would drink? <laughs> I was like, what? Yeah. Do not call Shrek. Shrek is an icon. Shrek is <laughs> love. Shrek is life. Shrek is life. Shrek is literally, that movie is, like, uh, beautiful. It is um, a cinematic anyway. masterpiece. Yes. <laughs> Anyone can prove me wrong. It only has, like, 90% Rotten Tomatoes last time oh, I checked. Yeah. Sure. rightfully so it's beautiful yeah um <laughs> and then now fast forward to like the tiktok culture now you can mm-hmm. see like all these girls are like oh my goodness matcha is just so good for your body and it's just such a uh, good drink and it's so i'm like what y'all were making fun of me for having this green drink like three years ago <laughs> funny how the tables have turned um no i like i agree like i see that was like chai like, mm, yeah. I don't, personally, I, when I was younger, I didn't really drink chai anyway. Like, I mean, I was, like, 12. I didn't really have any reason to be drinking it. Um, but, like, as you mentioned, like, with matcha and, like, with boba, like, these things become trends that, like, I feel like a lot of society easily picks up to, like, profit off of yes. without giving, like, credit where it belongs. Mm-hmm. And I'm, like, anyone, anyone can, like, enjoy south asian culture like asian culture in general cuisine like that's totally fine but it's about like understanding where it comes from and like definitely like like um i guess giving credit to where this like yeah. um cuisine like comes from because like for as myself like as, a, as an asian girl like my culture specifically my food is such a large part of my identity mm-hmm. um as I mentioned, I am a pretty whitewashed Asian, but, like, I, like, <laughs> Asian cuisine is such a huge part of me. Like, I would grow up eating, like, biryani, grow up eating, like, like, butter chicken, like, all these, like, like, meals that my parents would make for me and my grandma would make, like, all these recipes are passed down, like, things like that. So it's, like, a huge part of my culture. And same with, like, chai. Like, I was mentioning my grandpa, um, from my mom's dad, he makes, like, the best chai, like, Ooh. And, like, we enjoy, we have it together. Yeah, and, like, it's so nice to have this, like, experience with my family. But then to go to, like, Starbucks and, like, see they're selling it, like, iced chai latte. Like, if I'm being honest, Mm -hmm. like, I have, I always drink iced chai. Like, it's really bad. It's really good. (laughs) I am definitely at fault. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I am definitely at fault. But I, I don't know. I just think it's, like, without respecting the culture, you can't profit off of it. Like, if it's not yours, especially. Yeah, Alina, I completely agree with that. There's a big difference between appreciating a, appreciating a culture 
versus appropriating a culture, especially in America where we are built upon capitalism and just feeding off of a culture's profit and like what they have made or identified as their own culture. Because as you said, like food is directly linked to like a culture's identity. It's linked to a heritage. It's linked to a person in general. And especially for like first gen, second gen immigrants who have been assimilated to this whitewashed culture surrounded by burgers and fries and all these fast foods. It's nice to be at home or like outside and having this food being your one core identity to yourself and only something that you can keep to yourself. And that's something that I guess people just need to emphasize on how like especially Asians are angry about that if we are being appropriated by like mm-hmm. whitewashed companies that profit off of our like food, especially if they made fun of us before. Mm-hmm. No, I completely agree. And like what you mentioned about like homemade food and how it like kind of resonates different with like Asian youth and any minority in general, um, like or immigrant, uh, anyone coming from an immigrant family. Like for me, I know like if I eat out too many times in like a week or whatever. I start feeling sick and I'm like, I need home cooked food. Like, I need my mom to make like something for me. And that's yeah. such a like, that's a privilege to have that for sure. But it's like that has such a like having that connection with like Asian cuisine, South Asian Pakistani food is like, like it's so close to my heart to have that. Same. So mm-hmm. for someone, for like the girl next door to go and profit off of that and like not even like give credit to the culture that they're taking it from and just straight up like profiting off of it and like, like whitewashing it is like really frustrating to me um and I guess it's like important to recognize that like anyone can appreciate different cuisines you can make it yourself like Mm -hmm. it's I definitely encourage that honestly like I encourage people to go out of their way and like make other cuisines um that are outside of their like ethnic group like I definitely encourage that but it's different to like as you mentioned appropriate it and like appreciate it so I definitely I definitely agree with you yeah um, it's kind of like a kid trying broccoli for the first time. Does that make sense? Where they're like, I don't know if you've seen Inside Out, where the girl just like takes a broccoli and she's like, "Ew, gross." That was kind of like how, like kids in my grade would have like show off like matcha or anything or like mm-hmm. any Filipino food. But then years later, they're, it's good to really just appreciate um culture in general and go step out of your way to try all these different foods and stuff but there's as I said there's just a huge difference between I guess giving not giving credit for what is due like what you said yeah and like uh I like that you mentioned that too um like give an example of that like I okay I am tiktok obsessed yep <laughs> <Same> <laughs> and I have fallen down food tiktok I've had my for you page sometimes becomes food TikTok, right? Wait, oh, okay. Yeah, and I came, <laughs> I promise I'm going somewhere. I promise I'm not crazy. Um, <laughs> and I came across this one account of this, I think he's Jewish, this Jewish boy. His name's, let me find his, like, account. His name's, like, Ethan, I think. And, like, he makes, like, Indian food mm-hmm. and South Asian cuisine. And I think that's a great example of, like, appreciation because, yeah, wait, yeah, it's just E-I-T-A-N on Instagram. Because mm-hmm. that's a good example of, like, appreciation of a culture because he makes the cuisine and he explains, like, how he makes it and he explains, like, like history of it. So he's, like, 
actively appreciating the cuisine and not profiting off of it because he gets views for these he gets likes for these he gets a lot of support from the brown community and he could easily just like disregard where it's come from and the roots and the food that he's making but he actively like goes against that and like shows like what region he's making like the food from so like that's like one prime example of like appreciating someone else's culture specifically their cuisine um because as we both mentioned like food is such a like integrated part of um like our culture and like our identity so Mm -hmm. it's just I don't know it's just very important to know the difference (laughs) yeah and personally in my experience because it's especially growing up here in America there has been opportunities in which I just haven't been able to really connect with my culture especially so Mm -hmm. food is kind of like that only link between the Philippines and America and the town that I live in because I can't really speak the language and I've been trying to and I look like a certain I look different from most Filipinos as well so it's kind of hard to find like a way to really embrace my culture and my identity so having like when I do visit there having food like Filipino food is like that one thing that connects us all together and I bet you've had similar experiences too yeah no like when you said that I was like thinking about my own experiences with that I yeah no like you said I don't really look like any of the other Pakistani people when I went to visit Pakistan like I don't like people automatically are like okay she's definitely from like America like they know like the Pakistani people Mm -hmm. and I like I've never I never visited Pakistan up until last winter so in all my like 15 I'm 16 now all my 15 years of living I've never Mm -hmm. visited Pakistan like I didn't like ever I've never gone there but it's been such a large part of who I am um because I'm I actively try to be proud of my identity but visiting there like as you mentioned like the food is just one large con like like almost the only connection that you have while living in like America separate mm-hmm. from the country itself um and I completely agree like I I do speak Urdu but like not I'm not very good at it. Yeah. like <laughs> I like if I try like it's really bad um mm-hmm. anyway so I don't really look like any of the other uh like local people in Pakistan um but like as you mentioned like the food is what really connects me with that because that's been the one consistent thing in my life um in regards to like my identity and who I am um so I completely agree I think that's like a very important thing that you brought up Mm -hmm. um another thing to point out is how I guess Americanized like especially Chinese food and basically all Chinese restaurants or anything in general, like any Asian restaurant has become so Americanized. And then there has become like these um, white owners that own Chinese restaurants and make themselves seem so, um, I guess, not appropriating the culture at all, but making themselves <laughs> appear better than like a Chinese restaurant that is like, that are, is Chinese run, Chinese owned, and more, mm-hmm. um, which kind of leads to, like, what we we're going to be talking about, like, white Chinese food. Do you have anything to say about that? <laughs> um, yeah, so I'm not, like, extremely familiar with, like, specifically East Asian cuisine and, like, in regards to, like, appropriating that, but I definitely see it myself. Like, the other day I went to um, an, uh, an East Asian cuisine restaurant, and you can automatically tell when something is, like, authentic and when something is like run by a white person trying to get money off of it Mm -hmm. um it was it was a great experience great restaurant but like I started having this discussion with my mom and we were like oh like are are there any like desserts or like what's here on the menu and like 
I realized that like the reason why I've never had a true authentic like authentic with trying East Asian cuisine is because I haven't gone to places that are authentic. The reason yeah. why I've never had like an authentic East Asian dessert or like meal is because I've only gone to like gentrified like areas and like whitewashed Mm -hmm. areas and new restaurants and like that's partially my fault for not going out to seek those um but I also think the restaurant um like community has does have a certain job to make sure they actively like um like I guess appreciate the culture and like actively encourage people to learn more about the cuisine that they're like eating um at the restaurant uh so yeah like, I totally agree, and I've had my own experiences with that, so I definitely need to do better yeah. as, like, a consumer. Mm-hmm. Oh, I was, oh my gosh, I can't believe I'm bringing this up. I was watching Guy Fieri. Yes, <laughs> yes. my king. <laughs> but I think, like, it was somewhere in Texas, and he was interviewing this one dude, and he was doing, like, a, he, like, he had a restaurant, it was a cuisine of barbecue x sushi, and... <laughs> interesting I don't know like I thought it was just like weird how it was also a white owned person and he was getting so much recognition like he was on Guy Fieri but I have not seen any person any Asian person on Guy Fieri's like show at all like just specifically for their brand and I just that just goes to show how I guess whitewash our culture is and how we can how white people can just take the food that we do appreciate and just twist it and make it better and everyone like likes it better I don't know if that makes sense at all no I I actually when you mentioned that something else came to my mind it's kind of like how with like this is like a more general aspect of activism like it's like white people who are like trying to be allies need to hear it coming from a white person's mouth in order to actively like engage with that subject if that makes sense I feel like that's kind of similar with like like the food like cuisine and food in general like like someone would go about like wanting to appreciate Asian like East Asian culture South Asian culture cuisine but they would only do so if it comes from another white person like catering it to them does that make sense I think that's kind of like an interesting connection um but yeah like that's no honestly Guy Fieri he's a king but like he needs to do better I know (laughs) <laughs> some proper representation up here. <laughs> there's also it's funny how you brought up like you know when something's authentic because um we have a chinatown in chicago and so you would just walk down chinatown and you would see which stores are the ones that like the like white people go to and the ones that like um like all asians go to because you know they know the authentic food and they know which ones are really really good and i just found that really funny just seeing like walking down and you just see like people with like their oh like their um orange chicken from like panda express and they think like oh i'm so cultured and i have this (laughs) i'm so cultured we love that i guess we can talk about more specific examples so we can start talking about i guess white chinese food and then apparently it was part of, part of the idea that Chinese food is dirty and cheap and um, it also came with the Immigration and Naturalization Act being passed in 1965 as a wave of Chinese immigrants came over to America. So not only were they seen as dirty and cheap, but also their Chinese food was, a, was as well. Mm. Um, which I found really interesting because... Um, 
even today, because I remember I was reading this article maybe last year, and it was something on Lucky Lee's, and it was a Chinese restaurant owned by a Jewish American couple, and they were basically talking about how Chinese, like their Chinese food specifically, was clean. And like super be- much better for like people because it didn't leave their customers feeling icky and gross the next day, and they even went out of their own way to say that these are the very few ch- American Chinese places that are mindful about the quality of ingredients as we are. And then I remember on I checked Twitter and there was so much backlash on the media. Yeah, rightfully so. What yeah, are they exactly. talking about? They were like saying like. They were calling it, like, racist language and a cultural appropriation and lack of understanding. And there was just so much stuff going on about that. And I remember, like, they issued an apology. And since then, they took that statement down. And I think they also took down, like, the fact that they called it icky and gross. But I don't know for sure if they shut down. I hope they did. Because there's a fine line of saying, like, oh, we're just, like, using these sort of ingredients to kind of change it up instead of saying, like, oh, this is icky and gross because that is racist. <laughs> that is racist for, um, and, like, deconnotating, like, what Chinese food is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so you said it was, like, a Chinese restaurant that was owned by, like, a Jewish couple? Yeah, it was, like, a um, Jewish-American couple. Like, so the fact that they're, like, oh, our food isn't dirty, like, it's, like, clean, like, what, what? Okay, what, what the, the fuck do you mean it's clean? Like, what? Like, what is the definition of clean? Like, give us the ingredients, let us know. Like, clean. Like, do you sanitize every single one of your, like, fucking, like, leaves or whatever you that you put, put in that shit? Like, sanitizer no. on everything. Yeah, like, you were a COVID over here. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, like, what I was gonna say is, like, by people, like, see, like, this feeds to stereotypes, um, like, that like um certain racial groups face like i'm sure like east asians get the um racial stereotype that oh they eat like they eat weird stuff like i mean with the whole corona thing people are like oh they eat bats and shit right Mm -hmm. like that's so fucked up and i feel like by having these restaurant owners say that oh our food is like clean compared to traditional chinese food which is dirty like feeds to that stereotype and feeds to normalizing um this idea this messed up idea that east asian people like eat dirty stuff which is like completely like not true i feel like asian culture specifically is one of the like 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 is one of those specific like cultures that actually like you like really stresses the importance of like uh hygienic and like being clean and like cleanliness Mm -hmm. like i like south asian culture like we really stress the importance of being clean exactly and i'm sure with east asian culture it's the same thing i mean Okay, again, all my information from TikTok, I was, <laughs> I was, I was um, looking at this TikTok, and it was talking about how, in fact, the European settlers who colonized the United States never, like, took baths, like, they didn't believe in, like, showers, mm-hmm. <laughs> and the Native American people would clean all the time, clean themselves all the time, they're very hygienic, so it's, like, interesting to see how this, like, idea has been flipped by like media and like the way people like perpetuate these stereotypes onto racial groups um when it's like completely the opposite <laughs> yeah. um but yeah i don't know that's like really messed up like what the hell yeah i remember um i remember reading the article last year and i was like you're kidding there's no way they could have said that which is kind of cool that you mentioned that alina because um we're going to segue into our interview with olivia stark 
Olivia Stark is one of our core writers here at the day team and we are so excited to have her be on this podcast to talk about food appropriation because she recently graduated from UCLA as a Asian American studies major so I think it'd be really cool and insightful to see someone who does have a major on this type of stuff see how food appropriation is in America and how we can uplift each other and empower each other to not shy away from our culture but embrace it. So here's our interview with Olivia Stark. Okay so I'm here with Olivia Stark. Do you want to like introduce yourself and what you do at like the day team? Sure. Um, I'm Olivia. I was born and raised in Los Angeles and recently graduated from UCLA with a bachelor's degree in Asian American studies. And now I am writing for the day team and I write articles mostly about food every couple weeks. That's really, really cool. (laughs) So you graduated from UCLA. How was that? Like, how was that whole experience? Did you like it? It was amazing. I never pictured myself at a school, one so close to home, mm-hmm. or two as big as UCLA, because um, it's like a huge university, and I was worried because people say like, oh, at UCLA, you know, you're just a number, because yeah. there's so many students, but I feel like in the Asian American Studies Department, um, I really found that small community that I was looking for, and really... Mm-hmm. Um, developed meaningful relationships with all of my classmates and professors wow that's awesome because I was thinking about UCLA because I'm like a rising senior so that's if you ever want to talk about it that's awesome because I I'm like curious on the campus because I was actually going to go to California maybe a week a week like a week ago I think and I was gonna actually visit UCLA in the campus but now like you know <laughs> yeah COVID is just not it <laughs> well it's a beautiful campus so I could tell you that much <laughs> yeah okay so in your article on Dear Asian Youth, Jook, you mentioned how congee has been prevalent in Asian culture since forever because it was a way to stretch, stretch a meal when there was enough food around. Um, what is the significance of congee to you and your family, and how does it continue to be a general, generational dish for years to come? Yeah, well, for my family, I mean, I always saw it as... Um, something I didn't even really like that much I was like oh this is just something you know my family makes out of leftovers um but it was always there for every holiday because holidays are usually when we'll have some kind of big meal that has leftovers Mm -hmm. um like a leftover turkey um and so then that's when you're able to make joke because you can make it out of whatever you have left over um And so over the years, I grew to kind of appreciate it more and really associate it with family Mm -hmm. um, just because it was always there when we had big groups of family over um, and we would always eat it after holidays. It was also my little sister's first food that she would even eat. So (laughs) 
have memories of like feeding it to her when she was a baby. And I mean, I was pretty much a baby too, but um, it's always like kind of the first food that babies eat in our family. So, mm-hmm. you know, everyone just grows up with it. Yeah. Okay. So another question that I have for you is, how has food to you become your identity and identity for many Asian cultures? Hmm. I think for me, I grew up in a community where it was mostly white. Um, I was the only Asian people I knew at my school growing up. There was maybe like two other um, Asian kids in my grade. Um, K through 12. And so I started noticing when I got to kindergarten, like that I would bring different types of foods school for lunch than my peers. Yeah. When you're a kid, you up until I went to kindergarten, you know, I assumed like, oh, everyone, everyone must eat these things because I eat them. Um, and then it wasn't until I got like started school that people started asking me like, what is that? Um, when I would bring like dumplings or yeah. lap cheng and rice, um, like Chinese sausage. And so I think that's where I really started developing a cultural identity around food is growing up noticing that my foods were different than other people's. And it wasn't even necessarily that kids at school would make fun of me for my food, which I know a lot of people do have that experience. Um, but more that they were just curious about my food. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it caused me to just realize that I was different from my peers in a way. Not only that, but I think beyond that, it has contributed to my cultural identity just in the role that food plays in, in our lives. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there are just certain foods like I said about joke that like I associate with spending time with my family. Yeah. Like at Christmas, my aunt always comes to visit us and we all make pot stickers together. Um, and that's something that's special because she doesn't speak English and I don't speak any Chinese, but this is still something that we can communicate over and bond over is like the making of Chinese food. Um, so there's just a lot of, I guess, family associations related to food that connect you to kind of your roots and where you come from. Yeah, I completely agree. I was talking with Alina earlier about like how food is linked to our identity and how like especially since growing up here in America, you were kind of forced to be in a whitewashed culture where you weren't surrounded by all these foods as your sort of identity. And especially going out to like the mainland and stuff to your home country in which you do identify with these certain types of foods. That's like the only way you can really connect with your cousins or your relatives, especially if you can't speak the language, which I've had struggles with too. And um, because... I don't know, just growing up here, it's just been hard to, like, really adapt into my culture. Totally. Mm -hmm. So, um, another question I have for you is, so we, Alina and I, we were talking about food appropriation. So, when addressing food appropriation and Americanized Asian food, 
how do we as Asian girls address that and confront it? So basically your advice on that. I'd say I had a very unique experience growing up where I actually have another article that's about to come out about this. Um, but there's a restaurant called Din Tai Fung. It's really famous. Mm-hmm. Um, and they have Xiao Long Bao. That's their most famous dish, which is like a juicy pork dumpling from Taiwan. And I grew up always eating at this restaurant before it kind of like hit mainstream America back when there was only one U.S. location in Arcadia, which is like a predominantly Asian area mm-hmm. in California. Um, but then they started opening new locations in like wider areas like Glendale and now Century City, um, which is right by UCLA. So I was actually... Um, pretty excited that it opened there Um, but there are it is a predominantly white area and it was clear that they were trying to serve a predominantly white clientele at that point in their business model Um, and growing up with this kind of shift in this one restaurant that I noticed and seeing kind of peers from my white community at my high school that I grew up with suddenly like discovering this food and thinking like, Oh, I just discovered this new, like authentic food. It's so trendy to like dumplings. Um, there was just something very off putting about that for me that I couldn't, um, really verbalize what it was that it, that was bothering me so much, but I was like, I've grown up with this food and all of a sudden it's like a trend that everyone that all of my white friends are mm-hmm. want to like jump on this train. Um, and I think that speaks a lot to like food gentrification and, um, and appropriation because as these um, restaurants start to ignore the Asian American communities that they were originally meant to serve mm-hmm. and instead start, kind of capitalizing off of this interest that white people have in kind of adopting Asian cultures, and that includes Asian cuisine, it kind of ignores the communities that they once served in an effort to, I guess, capitalize off of this appropriation. So I think one way, I mean, for me, a lot of the work was just kind of putting this all together in my head, because like I said, it was just kind of something that felt uncomfortable to me, but I hadn't explored much theoretically. Um, And so once I went to college and I started taking Asian American studies classes this was something that I thought maybe I should explore more. Um, so I actually did research about um, wow. and wrote a research paper and presentation mm-hmm. about Taifang and the evolution of the restaurant. And then um, there was also a class that I took that was all about Asian American history through food. Wow. So there we talked about stuff like there's a really popular 
taco truck in Los Angeles called the Kogi truck. Oh, yeah, I heard about that. It's like Korean-Mexican fusion. Um, And the point of us talking about that was kind of, you know, Asian people appropriate food as well because this Korean chef has kind of taken Korean barbecue and foods from his culture and made it into a taco, which is Mexican food, and kind of capitalized off of that. Yeah. And now it's a very trendy food truck. Um, but he doesn't really give credit to, like, the Mexican-American community, like mm-hmm. should, especially in L.A. Um, and so it's really everywhere. And I think the first step is just kind of, like, addressing it, looking at these different places and realizing um like kind of what's happening here and sitting with that discomfort and thinking why does this make me bothered that that white people are eating at Din Tai Fung or that this Korean guy is selling street tacos um why does that feel wrong and what is it that we can do as you know we enter adulthood and maybe you know start our own restaurants and businesses yeah you kind of do things differently should we be like angry about it or should we just like address it and then somehow find like a resolution to it or I would say upon first learning about it I felt kind of angry about it um but at the same time there's just so much to be angry about and if you kind of look at all the systems it is the systems of like capitalism that are keeping this going Mm -hmm. Um, so I even mention in in my article that's coming up that I don't even really blame my white peers because you know, if I was a like white person and like I suddenly Din Tai Fung like popped yeah. up in my neighborhood and it's good, you can't really say like, oh, white people aren't allowed to enjoy this food. And yeah, exactly. But there are these greater systems that because Din Tai Fung obviously was moving to cater to to white communities. And there's a reason for that is because that's where the money is. Um, and any business in America is just trying to grow and make more money. Mm-hmm. Um, it's really just about the systems we live in. So I think to be angry about it and to be, look at the larger systems at play that are, are sorry, my dog keeps like deciding if he wants to come in here. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, you have to like look at the larger systems that are creating these problems and kind of address it from there yeah that's that's really good advice actually because personally I've always felt like super angry about it and I've always been like why is this a trend now I was like obsessed with it maybe like all my life and then you're pinning me down for it or something like that especially um matcha I don't know if you are really into like tiktok but you've seen like all the people like, just realizing that matcha is now a thing, and what are your thoughts on that? <laughs> no, yeah, I, I definitely think it's fair to be angry about it, and that people do have a responsibility 
that if you're going to do something like make a like matcha TikTok or um, I would personally be so angry if I saw a TikTok of a white person like teaching me how to make dumplings. Yes. <laughs> so I think that people should just in general be more conscious of like where they're borrowing things from. Um, and if they're from other cultures, like that's fine. Like teach people how to make Asian foods on TikTok, but appreciate <laughs> like the cultures that these foods are coming from. Don't act like you're the one who just all of a sudden discovered this and is making it a thing, you know? Mm-hmm. Okay. Our last question is, do you have any advice just as like a dear Asian girl type of thing? I would say, hmm, I should have thought of this before. <laughs> about like food appropriation specifically. Or it could be about anything. I guess I'll make it about food since that's like my, my thing. <laughs> um, I would say for, for young Asian girls, this is advice that I would have liked to hear. Um, just be proud of your food and the mm-hmm. food from your culture and the food that you make with your families, even if it's different than the food that, you know, your peers eat, just be proud of it because know one day people are going to be dealing something that was so close to your heart that you you know grew up feeling ashamed of and you don't want to kind of wake up one day and see your culture your your culture as a trend all of a sudden yeah and feel like so betrayed because you were ashamed of it all this time I think instead just wear it on your sleeve loudly and proudly and then when it does ultimately become appropriated like it always does Mm -hmm. you look I was here this whole time yeah and that's really really good advice yeah thank you so much for joining us today this is awesome. Yeah. So I just came back from talking to Olivia and I'm so grateful that she was able to come onto the podcast and talk about Asian appropriation, considering how educated she is. I mean, she is from UCLA with a major in Asian American studies, which is so cool to have like an older person like tell us all these things and it really makes me give a good perspective on my views on Asian appropriation and how I should deal with it and she gave really really good advice but yeah I'm happy with how the podcast went because we talked about a lot of things we talked about how food is a core link to our identity and how it shapes us as a person and our families we talked about how the white culture sort of perpetrates our food and uses it as um, capitalism and profit benefit and how it caters to only a certain clientele which is white and do you have anything else to add no I mean you kind of hit everything I completely agree I today's discussion was very fun I am really hungry now to Me say too. the least I can smell <laughs> the food in my house right now and I just really want some so I'm probably gonna go eat some of that food <laughs> I I probably will do the same but um yeah, like, with that being said, um, 
I guess we'll do a cute little outro. Uh, but dear Asian girl, um, be proud of your identity. And dear not Asian girl, do not appropriate off of someone's culture. Yes. <laughs> um, but yeah, that's that's all I have to say. <laughs> yeah. Um, I'm just happy that we do have this platform that we can talk about things because this is meant to empower girls and appreciate their culture and just not be ashamed of it. So, dear Asian girl, just be ash- be proud of who you are and not be ashamed of anything that comes in your way and embrace your culture and your family and your values. That's what I have to say. That was so cute. I love it. <laughs> Want more of Dear Asian Girl? You can find us everywhere on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Anchor, we're on everything. Can't get enough? Subscribe, follow, rate, review to get all the updates and the latest on DAG. Let us know your feedback and what we can do to improve. Want to be a part of the podcast or Dear Asian Youth? Go on DearAsianYouth.org and click Contact to be a part of the DAG and Day Team. We'd love to have more hosts. We have our own Instagram. Follow us at Dear Asian Girl to receive updates on all the latest episodes and fun fact about the hosts. We'd love for you to reach out. DAG, Dear Asian Girl, a podcast dedicated to uplift and share Asian girl stories everywhere. For the Asian Girl, by the Asian Girl. Logo by Kristen Huynh, produced and edited by Genesis, and produced on Anchor. Anchor.